You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Sugar Sammy, Montreal's biggest comedy export and the only guy in town during the Montreal Comedy Festival some weeks ago who was doing two gala shows. That's kind of unheard of and is a testament to just how big an act Sammy is. Uh, he is able to headline, I think, in four or five different languages, and uh, we're about to have a really fascinating conversation with a really lovely, very warm guy who has a lot uh, to teach us about um, quality control and about uh, pruning one's online presence and interviewing the audience, and he's basically one of those self-made DIY comedians who's just been putting a lot of work in, uh, in terms of quality control and um, improving, constantly refining the act. Uh, he's been doing that for a long time, and he is rightly reaping the benefits of doing so. So this, without further ado, is the very lovely Sugar Sammy. I saw the gala last night. Fantastic. Oh, you saw it? Yes. Thanks, man. It was huge. Yeah, it was great. It was huge. It's a huge room. Me and uh, a Venezuelan comic called Ivan Aristogator. We're, we're both big comedy analysis nerds. Oh, wow. We were sat there going, the size of this room, the DJ beforehand, the yeah. T-shirt guy. Yeah, yeah. Is he like, is he your guy? <coughs> no, he, the he's the festival guy. The DJ is mine. Okay. Uh, the T-shirt guy and the warm-up guy is the festivals. They do that for every gala. But, uh, yeah, that was cool. It was my first time hosting, uh, Just for Laughs TV gala. Um, you know, and it was like a, a pretty cool experience, but it was one of those where I was like, uh, it's not the same as, as it's not the same as just doing your show. You sure. Know? Yeah. How's it different? Well, the TV cameras, uh, I think intimidate the audience a little bit. So, you know, you could see that they're conscious of it sometimes. That's that's there, you know, especially We're when quite you're t- well lit. We're as an audience, well. but like you forget that for TV, we they want to see us reacting. Exactly. So actually, we don't get the darkness you'd normally get. Exactly. So, and they know that when you're going to do crowd work with them, they're like, "Oh, I might, I might end up on national television mm-hmm. if I say something stupid." So they freeze a little. Ah. So you could see that within the crowd work, uh, you know, because I like doing it just to kind of give it a springboard for material. You know, I like doing that. You know, where it looks like it's seamlessly. Uh, my bits are seamlessly put into a conversation almost. Sure. I, I like that feel sometimes. So when you do crowd work, which I did in the second uh, half of my, uh, my, my set, because you do a set in the beginning, a set in the middle as the host, um, I was like, oh, I'll do some crowd work within all the material. And you could tell that compared to a conventional show, the audience was very conscious that, oh, if I say something yes. stupid, this will end up on national television and a few million people might watch this. And crowd work is something you're you're really known for, I think. Oh, not not even uh, to, to call it crowd work. I think sometimes that's a bit of a derided term, like mm-hmm. yeah, just crowd work. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed something you do. I think very shrewdly. Uh, I was trying to find footage of you online, yeah. and it's it's like Sugar Sammy's improv moment. That's right. And no actual, yeah, no actual material. You're not burning any material online. That's that, like I looked at that and I went, this gentleman has really thought about yeah. this plan. <laughs> yeah, I did, and I thought to myself, you know. I don't want to burn the material. I want to keep that for 
for for the shows. But this is a great way of putting out content, showing people what I'm good at, giving them the context of what I'm good at, so they know exactly what they're buying when they're coming to the show. They'll be like, okay, we're going to come and see a stand-up comic do material. Instead of sometimes you'll see someone do, you know, sketches on YouTube or, or, or things like that. And it ends up being where the sketches are what people love and they don't end up loving the stand-up. So I'm yeah. like, I want it to stay pretty loyal to what I do in terms of what I represent online as well. But it's also presumably it's a smart move because you're not, you're not burning anything. Exactly, yeah. And so I'm putting out content without burning material, and it's content that even my creative time putting it together, uh, I don't spend too much creative time putting it together because it creates itself on stage. Yes. So I'm not spending hours writing it, then filming it, then hiring a lighting guy and, and stuff like that. I've got a camera filming every show, and then we take you the film best. every show? Every single show. Ah, it's something someone else <laughs> told me. They said um, you, your partner sits in the audience and records the audience reaction. Uh, yes, she, what she does is she records the show, and then after the show, she interviews everybody that I've spoken to, the crowd work, the people I did crowd work with, or just audience members. How'd okay. you like the show? And then they give their re the reactions at the end of the, when we edit the moments together, we'll put the moment and then at the end, we'll put uh, the reaction from the, uh, the victims okay. <laughs> in quotation marks. Oh, I yeah. see. I see. I thought that's really interesting. I thought the, or maybe, the, maybe both things happened. Um, I think what I was referring to was when you're tr uh, trying out material, like uh -huh. ahead of the gala. You've got someone kind of gauging. Oh, I've the got that as well. Response to that. Yeah, I've you're got, so methodical. Yeah, this yeah, is great. Yeah, okay. yeah. My girlfriend records, uh, and we record every single show audio-wise. Um, when I'm working on material, not not my, my my shows. Like my full shows, we'll record them video. But every time I'm up at open mics or just doing sets to try to work on material, I'll record it. You know, re-listen to it, and also she'll take notes and say, "Well, this worked better tonight because of this and this and this." Okay. And she kind of knows my stuff inside out now. You know, she's the first person I test stuff on. She's like the perfect comedian's wife. You know, it's like she not only uh, is is great with helping me with you know all of the work and all the stuff that goes with it. She's also a great person to test material on. She'll be honest. She'll tell okay. me when it's crap. She'll be like, "This is shit." Yes. Work are on you, it. You know? Are you uh, are you paying her on a freelance basis? So yeah, it yeah. to be tax efficient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She does do that now full time for, yeah. for me. So she does work with me and like you know tapes everything, edits everything together. So okay. she's pretty much my right hand on the road, which is that's great. incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. She's like so, my Linda McCartney. Yeah. Okay, okay. So uh, let's just bring out her own food range: <laughs> sugar, Sammy, sausages. Um, so. Uh, Let's go back to, to last night, to the crowd work. Yeah. Are there particular, like, your, your, let's just, in fact, before we do that, let's just ground you for people in the UK or listening to this wherever who might not be familiar with you. You are, I mean, is it safe to say you're like the biggest Montreal comic? Like, you're uh, doing two galas. I don't yeah. think anyone's done that before, have they? Uh, this year, I think, yeah, I'm the only one doing it. Yeah. Uh, in Montreal, I, f I, you know, I could say, we could say that. Yeah. We could say that. And you can, this is a place where yeah. you, this is a place where you can proudly say, I think I'm the biggest cop in Montreal. <laughs> I think I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. In Montreal. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we do have a very healthy scene and a, and, and a great, a great scene, you know, good camaraderie here too. Okay. We have, we have that as well. So, but you're, and you're known from, from some of the comics that I spoke to, other Canadian comics who are friends of mine from the UK or, or from, from anywhere, you are known, uh, for being someone who kind of cracked audience engagement and like, as in audi cultivating an audience, you okay. cracked that early on. Oh, the impression okay. I get is you're one of those guys who a long time ago went, 
email, hey, I should start keeping a mailing list. Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I guess so, yeah. I, was... we, I mean, we, we will absolutely talk about the, yeah. the creativity as well. But yeah. I think from what you've already said so far, you're one of those guys who is very uh, methodical about the business of comedy and yeah. the business of audience cultivation. For sure. So is that, I mean, the, the impression I get is that within Montreal, if you started here and... You, Someone said to me, and I'm not going to tell you who any of these people are, it's nothing okay. negative, no but I'm, I'm going to preserve the anonymity of my um, sources. No Someone said you were the guy who promoters would say to other comics, look at what Sugar Sammy's doing. Oh, because right. he's bringing a crowd with him every time. Yeah. So talk to me about that and about how that started. Well, I think I always saw it, saw it as uh, the best way to be your own boss, you know, because I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but I didn't want to be waiting by the phone for somebody else to decide that it was time for me to do something or to, 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 to be able to play anywhere, to, to, to decide how I was going to, how much I was going to make at a show. You know, I was like, I was always that guy who was like, there's a better way to do this than just waiting by the phone. So I always created my own following and, and built my own following and made sure that every single show counted for me. It was always, you know, if you do great on stage, they'll come back. You know, because, you know, a lot of guys are like, well, you know, I've been promoting the hell out of it. They came to the first show. And then why didn't they come to the second show? I'm like, well, because they came to the first show and you weren't ready yet. You know, like some guys will start too early. They'll be building their brand way too early compared to the talent. So I always was conscious enough that, you know, I've been in the business 20 years, but I only started really promoting myself, uh, I'd say, 11 years ago because I knew it, it was going to take time to get good. I didn't want to promote a bad product as well. You know, so I thought that was important. That's very smart. I think a lot of people who with the level of access to the internet that everyone has now and the way that everything works online, you see comics who are in their first couple of years of putting material out online and, and I often see it and think, well, I don't watch it. I see it and I go, well, I'm not going to watch that because you're two years in. So. Yeah, exactly. Potentially there forever if someone else is. Yeah. And then, you know, even for me, you know, with the improv moments, we were talking about it. I, I, uh, you know, every couple of years I do a cleanup of them. I'll, we'll go over it and I'll go, let's get rid of the bottom 20%, you know, let's get rid, let's keep in the best of, ones. In terms of the, the topicality of the material or the, the number of downloads? Uh, the quality. Okay. The quality, like stuff that I'm really proud of. Cause there's times where I'm like, ah, oh, that was okay. But now I've done better. I've gotten even better at, at this than, than I used, than I was. So, you know, you can see yourself Im- improving, you know? Um, and for me, you know, I look back at old stuff that I've done and I think this is a good sign as a writer or as a performer, or as an artist, you look back at old things you've done and you go, man, that was shit. Well, how did I even put this out? You know, okay. like, you know, there's stuff that you want to just get off of there as soon as possible. Um, to me, I think uh, I knew early on that I wasn't at the level at a top level. You'd see that I would feel it right away when I'd watch, you know, other comedians that I loved or when I'd be alongside great headliners uh, opening for them or when I'd come to the festival because, you know, this is pretty much the all-star game of uh, of comedians. So yeah. you you feel it. You feel the difference. And I, and I was conscious of that. And I said, I'm not going to actively promote myself. I'm not going to go crazy with it until uh, I have something that people will will come to and watch and say, this was this was really good. And I'm and I can't wait to come back. It's not like oh it was okay, yeah. or it was compared to other stuff that I've seen. It was just all right. I wanted it to to stand up next to everybody else, you know. So what was the first bit that you wrote that you felt like oh this is I'm I'm starting to this is this is me. This is taking the roof off and it's expressing. Oh. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've, uh, I've, you ever get to that point. You always get, I think you always get better as a writer. Like I think the stuff that I'm writing now makes me feel like, oh, okay, I've just hit a new level. Yeah. I'm able to write at a better, in a better way than I did. Like the stuff that I did last night at the gala, I felt like was way better than what I've done 10 years ago or five years ago, or even four or three years ago. And I was like, oh, this last year I've been a way better writer. And then, you know, you'll see someone else. Uh, at, at the festival, you're like, ooh, I gotta, I, 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 I yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, I could do better than that. This, too. this whole festival, for, for me, I think for a lot of acts, is you're simultaneously inspired and kind of crushed. By, yeah. Oh, God, everyone's so great. You know, yeah. it's, it's really like a, an elite kind of a. Yeah. So you, you always think to yourself, oh, okay, I've achieved, you know, I, and I was, I'm so happy about the fact that I've, I think I've jumped the level in the last year as a writer, and you go, Oh, but I, I think I could still get better. And I tell my girlfriend that all the time. She's like, you're so hard on yourself. I'm like, I know I can get, I know I'm, I, I'm even better now than this. And I, and now I think I'm better at filtering out stuff that editing stuff out that I'm like, oh, I, I shouldn't put this out. I'm, I, I've, I'm way better than this. I know I would have put this in my set five years ago, okay. but I'm not the, what I just wrote. This is crap. Can you give us an example? Oh, I don't know, but it's, it happened recently, you know, where you just note things down and you go, no, I'm not doing this. I can't. Go, I can't I'm going to, I'm going to push you for an example. I'm trying, I'm trying to, to think. I'm going to look through my notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm going to look through please, my please. notes and if I find something, I'll, I'll let you know. But, you know, and there's times when, uh, I'll come up with something and I'll go, oh, this is, uh, this is a good topic. Let me, uh, let me, uh, let me put this in. I mean, I don't, I can't even think of it. I mean, there's stuff that I'm putting in here that I'm like, oh, this is good top. These are good topics. I could write about this but no i have nothing in here i probably even didn't even put it in my notes because okay. i said this sucks i scrapped it out and okay. and i knew but um you know there's stuff that i i listen to uh now that i've done i have a, a cd that that's online and i want to get rid of oh, uh, oh that's the one on Spotify. down with the yeah yeah, yeah down, i'm like oh man, oh man i want to get rid of that and okay. i'm like i'm like and what what is it about that, that makes the whole thing <laughs> the whole thing it was, was the only stuff i could find oh man that was and, 2006 uh, yeah it's from a while ago a while ago and you know you could see the audience going crazy and losing they it. are undoubtedly going yeah. crazy yeah but i know that listening to that now i'm like i, I you know i got to take this down because i know that uh that um that audiences have seen me do better and I know that I've, I've, I'm better than that now. But at the same time, I think it's a, it also, the fact that the dates on there might let people know that it was pretty good at the time. Or maybe I'm just being hard on myself as well. But I think I'll replace it once I put my next CD out. You know? Okay. Yeah, I'll just okay. replace it. Last night at the gala, the, um, uh, the, just think about that middle section. That, you had that wonderful joke about airplane mode. Yeah. Which is great. So me and Ivan were sat there watching the, uh, the teleprompter. Yeah. That was a really unusual thing. We yeah. saw you and I think um, uh, Michael Mittermeier. Yeah. Just a fantastic comedy from Germany. Him. He was brilliant. Perfect choice oh. to open the show. Um, he had his, his set list like written out longhand. Yeah. Oh, the teleprompter. Wow. Wow. Did you do that as well? I can't remember. Did I, you I didn't do longhand. I just did uh, It was just like sort of... Uh, keywords, yeah. Keywords, keywords. Yeah. And I saw Sarah Milliken do that too the night before because I went to see the gala the night before she was on there. And just to see how, uh, you know, uh, it unfolds, how the gala unfolds, I want to see what the, you know, yeah. dead spots were when the latecomers come in. I want to see the transitions just to not uh, be surprised by it 
when I, when I was on stage. So uh, I saw Sarah Milken do that. I'm like, that's efficient. That's pretty cool. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that too. I was like, uh, why not? Because they asked me, they said, would you like to put keywords? Because some comics do that. And I said, yeah, it looks like it's fun. And, yeah. and the lady who follows them, who you know scrolls them down, she's pretty good at following. Yes. Even though she doesn't know your material, she yes. knows you're done with this and moves on. So that so that airplane joke, which I'm, I do, are you happy to discuss that joke? I don't want to yeah. cause you to butcher it now in a non-gig environment. Uh, it's yeah. a lovely, clean premise of a joke. Me yeah. and Ivan was sat there going, ah. Oh. Clean as a whistle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, uh, it was um, the fact that, I mean, you know, comedians, we talk about what we know and we travel a lot. You know, so it's when comedians talk about traveling. And I think for me, uh, uh, recently you notice that uh, I think there's a lot of tension within the airline industry and it comes out uh, within the staff when you're on the planes and stuff. And they insist that you put your telephone in airplane mode. Otherwise, the airplane can crash and i was like who the hell believes that like that's got that's got to be the easiest way to to, to try this guy it's got to be the most disappointed terrorist in the world that tried that and then i got up and did the the act out for it but that actually is a recent thing that happened to me and you know this the flight attendant was actually rude about it and i was like i was like man no you know, nothing's gonna happen to this plane and if it does you got to build new planes, you know, like your planes, yeah. <laughs> your planes suck. Every then. single person yeah. up here is pretending to put a phone yeah, on airplane, right? airplane yeah. Exactly. So, um, so that, you know, that, that was it. Sorry. That was pretty so, much it. So with that, with that one joke, which I think is just a really, it's just a lovely clean. It's a, my friend would say it's a joke you can polish your boots with. Oh, Do you know cool. what I mean? It's like, bang, there oh, we go. That's cool. the perfect little unit. Cool. So with that, let's talk about the, do you kind of that idea occurs to you when you're on the plane? You then do you write around it? Are you sitting down writing to unpack the ideas further, or is it just something you would have that idea and then go on stage at a smaller gig and play with? I think a lot of it is I know I annoy the people around me first with it, so I'll have the idea. <laughs> I'll have the idea, then I'll tell it to my girlfriend or uh, you know some friends or, or, or my brother or you know, uh, and I'll be like, "What do you think of this?" And then I'll say, "I just came up with this idea. This happened to me." And then I'll start just kind of doing it. And then I do it over and over and over. And I talk about it over and over and over. So they're to, off stage? Or off stage okay. to different people. And then I'll take it on stage and see if it works on stage. Okay. That's one way so it works. So do you have like, I could almost imagine like a hierarchy of friends. Like you'll try it on your girlfriend first. Is there anything to it? Okay, there's something to it. Yeah. Then I'll try it on my brother. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like yeah. by the time you get to your ninth friend, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm his ninth friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get the good stuff. It's normally good by the time I get it. You know, now that you bring it up, I don't do it consciously, but it does happen. Yeah. So it does happen. I think I, I go through, uh, at least I think I, I have like a, you know, five or six people that I, that I just kind of annoy when I'm not sure about an idea. But sometimes I'll come up with something and I'm pretty sure that it's good. And I'll try it out maybe once on my girlfriend, then bring it up on stage. Uh, one of those was when I talked about her Polish relatives yesterday mm -hmm. and a racist Polish uncle mm -hmm. who, uh, uh, you know, uh, freely throws out racism during dinner towards guests like me, you know, where he was like, oh, uh, you know, it's rare to see Indian people working with their brains. Yeah. I heard you guys are made for hard labor. And then I was like, I was like, you know, some people like to fight racism with kindness i like to fight racism with racism and then i wrote the whole bit about what i replied to him and that just came because you know i've been hanging out with my polish girlfriend a lot and you meet all these characters in her family and then you know those, that's one of those ideas that i had and i just put it out there i tried it on her she said i think that's a killer and i was like i think so too you feel it instinctively yes. brought it up on stage cushioned it between two magic bits and 
and it worked. So, but I love that. I love <laughs> yeah, stick it between two good bits. Yeah, just get it and, and try it. Oh, you got to cushion it. You got to yeah. cushion it when it's new. You know, you have to. Even if you feel like uh, it's great, you know, because there are times you'll write something you know right away that it's good. You know right away, and there are times where you're not sure. You're very insecure about it. You'll try it. And, you know, after a few tries, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to get it. There are times where you'll, it'll take you literally a month. I've had bits where I've stuck to them for a month, not had the punchline or the laugh, and then found it at the end of a month. And there are times where you have to actually say goodbye to some bits because, you know, you love them and you can feel like nobody in the audience thinks that's great. Can you all. think of, can you think of a, like a, a bit that you loved that you had to drop? You think of like a, a specific bit. I would love to, to like get into oh. the nitty gritty of like a thing that you've, I mean, I could think there's bits I've got where I'm like, oh, every right. so often I'll, every year I write a show yeah. and I'll go, maybe this is the show where that bit about skydiving is going to work. Yeah, no, I, there's one bit I tried in England actually that I was like, and I've noticed that about England is, you know, when you come to North America, everybody is, and it's like you come to Montreal, to Canada, people mix very easily. In England, there's one thing that I noticed is like white people hang out with white people, black people hang out with black people, like socially, they'll work together mm -hmm. and Indians hang out with Indians. You know, from time to time, you'll see a white girl with a black guy, but that's not a good girl. So I, so I, I did that bit. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, but I love that bit because it's like you're saying how, you know, in North America, we mix way more and sure. we're way more multicultural and we're a mosaic and we're able to mix. And in England, yeah. you don't. And then you negate it right away. And I thought it was a fun bit. And I think it got a laugh twice and then the rest the of the UK, time yeah in the UK yeah. and then nothing else so because why because we're, I don't know I think it's tight about race I, I think maybe it was that and maybe it was like uh, maybe there was there there was that thing of we're, we're not sure he can say that because he's not black you know yes. maybe maybe you know maybe they're like oh can an Indian guy say say something like that yes but then when you do that bit around people who are comedy nerds, they like it, you know, so, but that's not the majority of the audience. They're like, okay. oh, that's funny. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's. Yes, uh, because nerds will look through the, they'll just look at the components. Exactly. Go, oh, nice use of the components. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and, um, there's another one that I actually, I do. And I, and I know that 20% of the audience likes and I still keep it because I, that's for them. And I have one where I, I do uh, bits about, um, I, I talk about, um, homosexuality and then I, I say you know some people think i'm gay because i dress well and you see heaven and you think oh he's gay i'm like i'm not gay i tried it no and i was like i was like i said i'm not gay but how do you know you're not gay if you haven't tried being gay yeah. but you can't just try one gay guy because that could be a bad gay guy and you don't want to base your experience on him that could just be a defective gay dude so the rule is you try 10 <laughs> if you like six you're gay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked four, a hundred percent straight. Yeah. Okay. So, okay, nice. so, so, you know, I, I love that, that joke. Uh, I would say 25% of the audience laughs. The other 25% start, you can see are like, is he, or is he not? Did he actually do yes. that? And so I address that and that gets the laugh where I wish, whereas I wish that the punchline would get the laugh. It's the afterthought. It's the yes. tag that gets the laugh. <laughs> So this is Sammy. Before I tell you any more, I should just explain I'm recording this in an airport, in Dublin airport, in fact, after uh, a lovely weekend of gigs at the Laughter Lounge, which is fantastic. So thank you to uh, the ComCom people who came out to see me there. Very kind of you. Um, and uh, really enjoyed that. But what it does mean, of course, is that I'm in an airport looking suspicious, having deliberately wandered around trying to find a bit of the airport 
that I could wander around in looking suspicious. So if at some point I am ejected by security or questioned and uh, searched, then uh, I, will, I will hopefully leave the recording device running <laughs> so that you can enjoy that as well. So more from Sammy in just a second. Uh, I've got a wonderful email from uh, a, a lady. Oh, actually... This person has... Uh, I have now had correspondence with this person, and it is unclear to me they have a, a non-gendered name. I'm only assuming they're a lady. This is a, a Fran or a Francis. Um, but I won't give you their surname because uh, <laughs> I should preserve their anonymity. So I'd like to read you an email I received accompanying a very uh, lovely, very generous donation, a one-off donation of the sort that you, of course, can make at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate if you're enjoying the show, as I, I hope you are. Um, this is from uh, a mystery donor who I have... And anonymized. The message was, I've been meaning to do this for bloody ages. I'm doing so now because I'm quite frankly slightly tipsy and was trying to find a place to sign up to the newsletter and got lost. But like I said, I've been meaning to do this for ages. Thank you so much for... And then the message ends, which is an absolutely delightful message and sentiment uh, to receive, uh, and also very, uh, a very kind, very generous donation as well. If you too would like to support the podcast, perhaps when you're slightly tipsy, and uh, I replied to this person sending them a link to James Acaster's material about being tipsy, which I highly recommend you seek out on the, uh, on the internet. Um, but uh, if you would like to, uh, to get slightly tipsy and then uh, make a donation with a cut-off, excitable message, then uh, you're more than welcome. Comedianscomedian.com, donate. And you can do a one-off donation of as much or as little as you like. Uh, or you can do... What, what do we used to say? The price of a bottle of wine. That seems fair. I'm pleased to say this uh, tipsy donor gave me the price of about four bottles of wine, which is extremely kind. Um, but whatever you'd spend on a decent bottle of wine for... Uh, for the retirement of a dear colleague. How's that? A posh, a posh bottle of wine. Um, but uh, from each, according to his or her means, uh, you can do that in a one-off way, or you can do that with a recurring subscription payment of one, two, five, or even ten pounds a month. And I think there are two people doing the tenner a month. You are very, very warm in my estimation. So all of that at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. Uh, and other things I will tell you about. Oh, I'm going to do the I'm going to do the t-shirt post sale. The pre-sale was so successful, and thank you to everyone who received your t-shirts. And apologies again to the two people who didn't. I am struggling to work out exactly which part of the process broke down. But um, I am going to uh, I will give these people some free t-shirts for their time, refunds and free tees, um, for to apologise for putting up with my administrative faff. But other than those two small incidents, it was phenomenally successful. Um, and uh, we shifted something like 150 t-shirts, which is great. It really makes me feel like this is uh, this burgeoning community is uh, uh, it's very, very exciting. So, if you would like to buy uh, a t-shirt now at the, at the slightly less discounted price, because uh, it's no longer the pre-sale, and then I'll be putting them on again in October, just for the month of October, so it'll close on the 1st of November. I'm not going to do a sort of rolling sale, it gets too faffy at my end, but it's another month when you can place your orders, and, uh, and what I will do is... Uh, close the, that sale. That, that will be it. That, they'll be gone then. You'll only be able to buy them from me in person at uh, gigs and, um, and tour shows if I have any left. So if you are desperate for the incredible Polly Becker design, the Thanks Man skeletal horse design, um, then throughout October you can register your orders and then in November I will print them and make sure that they are in your hand for the 1st of December so that we can, uh, so that you can give them as presents or wear them proudly during uh, a lovely tipsy Christmas. So um, listen out for those. Those will go out from I think the whole of October that makes sense I've sort of worked out the timings and um, the first week in October I believe that's when I'm releasing the Reg D Hunter episode that you are going to absolutely love Reg was admirably candid in that episode 
uh, right from the word go, we really got into some shit. So uh, I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna get a lot out of that. He was very giving. You remember like the, the Terry Alderton episode of Legend, um, when someone is just prepared to get stuck into it and talk about something. So I think the, the Reg Hunter one is going to be up there with Tony Law, with Susan Kalman, with t- uh, Terry Alderton. It's, I think you're going to find it a very memorable and very uh, exciting episode. So listen out for that, uh, 1st of October, and listen out as well for some, um, some news on some other projects that I shall chat to you about at the end of the show. Let's get back to Sugar Sammy. With someone in your position who is able to very confidently play to, I don't know what the capacity of that room last night was, mm. you know, one and a half, two thousand something. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's like twenty five hundred. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was it really? That, yeah. I, I was on the stool, so I couldn't see the, the size of the, <laughs> the balcony. Yeah. But um, I suppose when you are wanting, when you are needing in that performative position to please everyone, yeah. like you're, you're kind of a. I don't mean this negatively, but you're a crowd pleasing act. You, you know, have if you to. want to get to that level of yeah. playing to twenty five hundred people, yeah. is there room for nuance? And is that frustrating when your nuance yes. doesn't come across in the way that you'd like it to? Yes, and you have to almost say, okay, I'm gonna put this joke in there, but it has to be between two yeah. killers because this one's for me. You know, this one's for me, and probably. A minority of the audience, and I want it in there, but it has, to, but it has to be, it has to be between two of those magic killer ones because I might lose the audience with that big an audience, especially when you're hosting. Mm-hmm. If you make one wrong move for one second too long, you might lose them, and that's a disservice to everybody you're introducing. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing you have to be conscious of is, you know, you are the, as they say in England, the compare of the night. So you got to make sure that you keep that audience warm for every single act that comes out there. You know? Yes. Yeah. Now, one of the things you, you excel at is that you, you do a lot of uh, material, like well-observed material about the specifics of ethnicity. Mm. Like you, you, I speak four, five languages. Four, yeah. And you can perform in, you can headline in all four? All four, yeah. Um, that's incredible. Yeah, so uh, English, French. Hindi and Punjabi. Hindi and Punjabi. Yeah. You can headline in four languages. Yeah, it's great. It's so talk to me about the, the difference between, or what differences there are, if there are any, about the, the, the nuance or the structure of your jokes in those. I, I've never met another comic who can close in four languages. Right. So you've got a pretty unique view of, the way joke structure works differently? Yeah. Is it all the same? Is it different? Yeah. Well, see, it's not only, I think uh, it's not only a question of language. It's a question of culture. That's the thing too. It's like, it's a mix of both. So the adaptation has to be both, right? So with, with language, um, I keep my structure the same, meaning if I'm doing stand-up, you know, I'm a stand-up comedian. I don't do sketch. I don't do uh, characters. I don't do any of that stuff. So even when I go to France or when I go to India, it's going to say stay stand-up, you know. So the stand-up comedy will remain. Now, the key is, in English, I think it's the most efficient language for stand-up. And I'll tell you why. It's because uh, you're required to make uh, a smaller... Uh, use of words to get to the punchline whereas in french sometimes it takes longer to get to to your destination in terms of language so you have to figure out 
that shortcut in terms of the beat because you know the laugh will be bigger if the premise is shorter obviously yes yeah. like that's a universal yeah like get there quickly yeah exactly yeah. It's, the, it's not that it's not that uk or english-speaking comedy fans are particularly needy yeah. like come on get to the point <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's that's a global efficiency yeah exactly and so what is french is the the french language it, it why is it harder to get there so fast is it that the words are longer i mean what kind of what are we talking about? there's just uh more words to to express where you got to go you know in, in in english you can express something sometimes in one word whereas in french that same thing that you want to ex- express will take you three or four words okay so then you got to figure out how to edit and get there quicker or add more to your punchline meaning add more tags so to make it efficient so that's the only thing you know the the materials uh, and the spirit of it stays the same meaning like you know a lot of times i'll go into a place and i'll and i'll roast that audience like i'll talk about when i go to uh france i'll talk about the french and i'll give them my point of view and i'll roast them and when i come to, when i when i'm here in quebec i do that about quebec culture and when i go to the united states i rip on the americans i don't like doing that while people aren't in the audience i like doing it when they're there mostly. oh yeah, yeah. okay okay yeah. oh that's interesting actually because yeah. i i heard you last night going any french people in yeah. american people in and ordinarily i mean i think of that as a technique to make what you're talking about current that's a really interesting idea we need to make sure they're in so that we can talk about them yeah. without it seeming nasty exactly yeah. or seeming like you know because it's easy to talk about someone when they're not there because they're not going to be there to go is he is he uh is he is he uh, you know is he uh, accurate about yeah. what he's saying? You know, I like it when I make you know when I make fun of the French and they laugh because they're like that's so true. You know, instead of oh yeah you know yeah I guess it's true. We've heard we've heard that. You know, sure. I don't. You never want it to be a caricature. You always want you know the the people that you're roasting to think. Oh wow, he he really he's got us. He's got us. He he yeah. did his research. He actually lived amongst some of us. Like he, yes. we feel it. So I think that's important. Um, and uh, f- I think for me, um, you know, I think uh, that's one of those things is you have to identify that and you have to be right on about it because the second you're not, uh, you can lose your audience. And for 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 me in different languages, I think it's you know getting to the punchline as quick as possible but also <clears throat> not losing the spirit of the material. And there are times when I'll write material that'll only work in France because it's so French. It's so local. It's so about them. It'll only okay. work in France. Or stuff that'll just work in Quebec. Like I did two bits last night that were just about us here in Quebec. Yes. Uh, something about the, the movie titles yeah. and you know the Saint-Jean-Baptiste float, uh, which was a parade that we had to celebrate Quebec. And they had people black guys pushing all these white people on a float and it looked like it looked like an old plantation scene yeah. <laughs> like by and they were like oh it was an accident we didn't mean it to be that way so i talked about that and i talked about you know our, our uh, video to promote our 375th anniversary of montreal so but that so stuff i can't take anywhere else sure so that i mean in that in that example the or those examples it, it's kind of the text of what you're saying is culturally referent that's tied to a particular place yeah are there any jokes that don't translate because of the nature of the joke because of the the like I, I I believe I understand that Germans, for example, don't do wordplay. So oh, right. even if you write a joke that's got wordplay in German, mm. it doesn't impress Germans. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm not aware of German I mean? comedy. I'm not no, no, there no, yet. Absolutely. But in, I just wonder if there are similarities, mm. or if that's analogous to the difference between 
I haven't noticed that in 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 uh, within the four languages that I work in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like the, you know the themes are pretty universal. Mm-hmm. So if I talk about you know relationships, if I talk about you know racism, if I talk about traveling, if I talk about sports, they'll all get it. You know, um, but it's just you know cultural references. You know, like if I talk about hockey, uh, I think it'll pretty much kill in North America, you know, yeah. ice hockey. Everywhere else they'll be kind of like, yeah, isn't that the sport where, you know, cricket, sure. I can't go deep into cricket unless it's only in India, but I can give people a general, or in England, I can give yeah. them a general overview of cricket in North America. And, and in order to, to be a crowd pleaser to a huge number of people, do you need to keep up with what's going on in hockey and cricket. Now, do you mean are you do you need to do kind of almost social research mm-hmm. to know what everyone else is talking about? No, I never do active research. That's the thing. It's always I'll watch something, I'll hear something and I'll note it down or I'll see something or something will happen to me and I'll have to write it down. For me, I've never been good at writing when I've been forced to write, when I've said to myself, okay, let's do research today, pick up a paper or yeah. you know, look through Google News and see what's going on and we'll write about that. It's always, oh my God, I got to write this right down right away. It's got to be something that really pops out at me and, I, and interests me and that I'm passionate about or that I've lived through. And then I try to make it universal uh, when it's to a, a large audience. But then I also have like that material that I like to do, which I know is, you know, going to be a little more precise and a little more niche. And I just like to work on that as well. I think it's a great exercise. And sometimes I like throwing that into shows. I think it's fun to stretch your brain and do different kinds of rooms and different kinds of audiences as well. Are are there, when it comes to, to, I'm kind of fascinated by this idea of wanting to have nuance in some sections that maybe isn't appropriate for the the size of room that you're playing. Mm -hmm. When you're working at your kind of level, are there... Are there particular things that you would like to be able to talk about on stage that you feel your your kind of your hands are tied because the issue is either too complex or not easily digestible enough for a crowd? Um, I mean, I think every comedian goes through that a little, right? But uh, but I think my audience now, I've especially very recently, I've defined myself in such a way that they ex- they know that I'm going to push limits that I'm going to talk about things that are a little more taboo in, in society sometimes, especially, you know, like now I've got uh, that audience that follows me. They like me for that kind of stuff. So I'll know that. But I mean, in terms of going more particular, like, I, you know, I've never been interested in writing material about microbiology or anything like that. Sure, so, sure. so that's not going to happen anyways. But I mean, in terms of like, are you confined to broad strokes All right. about travel or ethnicity? Um, no, I like, I think, I think I, 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 tend to go deeper, right? But I, I know that in a 10-minute set, sometimes you can't peel off all the layers you want to, but in an hour you can, sure. you know? So in an hour you could be like, okay, well, this is great. Let's go deeper. And they'll go with you and they'll give you that time, you know? And, you know, when you, it's a different type of pace when you're doing a 10, 12-minute set, you know, getting an audience yes. into your pocket. Then when you're doing an hour, an hour and a half, you can... Take time. I mean, I've had when I went to the states. I was. I did this whole thing about hip hop, and um, and old school hip hop. How I like it, and you know, and and, and uh, talked about British music, and talked about. I have this whole thing about pop culture, and mm-hmm. you know, soul and R and B. So I talk about all of that, and you can see, even though sometimes the audience varies in terms of their age. You know, my my age range in terms of my demo that shows up 
can go anywhere from. It's pretty huge. It's pretty huge. I've seen, you know, anywhere from seven to 87, you know, like I've seen that age gap, that age range. And I've been able to still talk about, you know, all of these things that probably, uh, each one of these, you know, hip hop and soul R and B and British music apply to different demos within my, my audience. And everybody seems to laugh together because I think there's a trust thing too. Once you get them for the first 10, 15 minutes, they trust that there's going to be something great about this. You are amazingly likable on stage. That's kind of one of your superpowers as a, as a comedian. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I mean, know how to do that. I can't give you yeah. that. T- I can't give you the technical. No, sure. But, yeah. you're, but you're, well, like, what's your appraisal of that? What, what do you think it is that they like about you so much? Uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, that's something that I hear quite a bit. I'm sure. like, oh, yeah, you're, you know, you're very likable on stage. But I'm like, I don't know what that means. You know, I think I guess I get, in real life, you know, people always say, you know, comedians are... Uh, you know, these sad, depressed people and, uh, they've got, you know, these issues and it's almost trendy and, and cool to, to be that guy, you know, but I'm, I've never been that guy. I've always had and very conscious of making sure that I have a balanced life outside. And I think maybe that, that's important. Yeah. yeah and right. I, and I feel like maybe that's what, um, transposes itself onto the stage a little bit is like, you know, I have a great family that I love. I talk to my parents every day. I go hug my mom and dad almost every time I can and go yeah. see them and have dinner with them. And I have a great girlfriend and I have, I see my nephew and my brother and my sister. I'm very, I have a very tight unit of people that, you know, I didn't come from a broken family. Everything's great, you know? So, so, so I don't know. Did you want to be a comedian? I think that's the like normally though we associate those things the broken mm-hmm. home things with someone's passionate desire to be on to sacrifice their right. social life in order to travel hundreds of miles to get their point across to some strangers right. why do you need to be on stage if you're happy i love the work that's it it's i'm one of those guys who just basically likes the work i love writing and i love performing and i like making people laugh that's pretty much the basic um reasons i do this you know everything else i think to me uh, you know uh, you know all the rest that comes with it the peripheral stuff i don't even look at it. it's there it's there you know you know the you know the financial security all of that fine but the true reason is i just love writing and i love being up there and <clears throat> i love telling jokes and i love making people laugh and that's been there since i was a kid and so that's pretty much it you know and and do you have are there ever moments where you struggle with the sorts of things that a lot of comics struggle with do you have moments of or have you had moments of kind of like the the not necessarily the darker side but you know like in in a festival like this mm-hmm. there's a lot of people here you could be je- one could be jealous of oh, you know man. there's a lot of competition do you are you you know you can't be having 100% absolute nailing at gigs when you have a tougher show or a bit that doesn't work What's your, like, I suppose what I'm asking, what, we talk a bit about mental health on this podcast often. And I suppose I'm like, oh, Sammy seems to have pretty great software for dealing with stuff. Right. So what are some of the harder things? What are some of the things that you find tougher? And how do you cope with those? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still have, uh, you know, I still have the insecurity about the work. The thing is, you know, everything outside of work, I'm I think I'm good at dealing with and, you know, the business side of it, the, you know, uh, my personal life, all of that. I think, um, I always like keeping a balance. The work, the the craft itself 
if it doesn't drive you crazy, you're not doing it right. You know? Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Thank God. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it doesn't drive you crazy, you're not doing it right. It has to. I, there, you know, I think every week there, there are times where I'm like, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'll have that. Like, well, I should quit. Do data entry. I've saved enough money. Let's, I'm just, you know, I've had a great career and I'm going to go do that. And then it, and I mean, to, it's kind <laughs> of a, reli- a relief to hear you say yeah, that to hear someone yeah, in that position. Yeah. So what, what, and what are the triggers for, for feeling like that? What do you think that's, what's going on there? Oh, a bad crowd, a bad, a bad show. A bad show is, is probably the classic, uh, you know, uh, a show not going as well as you, you thought, um, is probably the biggest, the biggest one. I mean, especially when, you know, I was working on stuff for the gala. I've, you know, as soon as I'm one of those guys, as soon as I, this gala was confirmed verbally in October, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't going to wait till June to work on it. I started working on it the day I agreed to it. And I started thinking about it, visualizing and okay, what kind of stuff am I going to do? It's an international gala. That's, I know I want to do that. That's, I know what kind of comedians I want on the gala. And so I want to do international material. I also want to do a little bit of local material to, you know, Please my local audience, but also please myself. Make sure I show my local colors and my international colors. So I've got to have all of that in there. Started working on it right away. And it's been a crazy year. This is like the finish line is tonight. And then I have a month off. And I know the crazy guy that I am. I have a month off. In two weeks, I'm going to start itching to get back up yeah. there and getting back up on stage. Okay. So, but, but I, I've gone to all of these places to, to, to test out material. And, you know, having it not work, you know, night after night, f- being frustrated about it, writing, rewriting, you know, they say writing is rewriting, you know, it's a editing, re-editing, changing a comma, taking out a word, like just that process, just that crazy neurotic process that can drive a person nuts. But then you also got to go, okay, well, that's all right. Let me go have dinner with my girlfriend. And then I'll bother her about that. Five minutes to chat about the weather, and okay, can we get down to business? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about this bit is not working? So, and then, uh, and then I'll, you know, if you, my coping is just working on it, and I think it drives me as well. I think that's one of those things. I think the the that feeling of of not succeeding uh, in terms of getting the material down is also a driving force to to push me to get it. You know? Let's just go a little bit deeper into that driving force. Cause that engine I think is, is that could be driven by ambition or it could be driven by fear. Mm-hmm. It could, what, what is it with you that is like, if you don't nail the gala in the way that you want to, not that I'm, let's not talk about tonight. Let's, yeah. If you hadn't nailed right. last night's gala in the way that you wanted to, what would it mean to you? What, what's, what's the, like what is going on? What what does drive you so much? There's love of the work, obviously, yeah. and there's a desire for financial freedom and you know for it to be a business success, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's really background. That's really not. So what's in the foreground? What's the? I think it's also. Um, I mean, sometimes it comes down to it comes down to making sure that the craft is is good. Being being at the. At that professional level, you know, where you... Yes, but I, I, I agree. That's but there. What's what's underneath that? Underneath that is also making sure, you know, listen, the basics of it is you're in front of 2,500 people. And that kind of public failure <laughs> can be, can scare the hell out of you. Like, we've all bombed. 
and bombing in front of 50 people. I've, I've never bombed. No, <laughs> and and bo- bombing in front of 50 people is one thing. Bombing in yeah. front of 2,500 is a whole different thing. And I think for me, it's also, uh, it's always come down to, uh, being some, uh, you know, a good writer, being a good performer, doing what I do, but doing it at the best level that I can and always giving my, my best and getting better every day, trying to get better every single day. That's important. But also making sure that I have, um, given that audience a great show. That's, that's the key for me. I think it always comes down to great customer service. You know, if you look at it as a business point of view, you got to, like I said, it's like that guy. I always think about that guy who knew 20 years ago that he wasn't ready to promote, uh, uh, this amazing, uh, put this amazing campaign together to tell people, come see this great show because it wasn't ready. So, you know, I've done that for the last six months is come see this gala. It's going to be phenomenal. It better be. Yeah. You know, it better be because that's what they came for. These people, they took time out of their day to, you know, uh, spend money for a couple of tickets and it's not, it's not cheap, you know, parking, babysitter. Sure, that's sure. their, that's their Friday nights. That's their Saturday night. That's, they've trusted me with giving them a good time. You know, they've trusted me with that. So it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to break that trust. You know, that's, I think that's, that's there too. It's like, I don't want to disappoint these people who believe in me. That's, I think that's important. Don't want to disappoint them. Yeah. Okay. Is that so, it, but it, it does sound like rather than being driven by, I mean, I've spoken to arena filling comics who are driven by fear, right. like the fear of screwing up. Yeah. And that makes, I don't want to, I don't want to, like this has to work. Yeah. And is that, does that resonate with you? That's yeah. It's a mix, right? It's, it's yeah. fear. It's ambition. It's also, uh, you know, making sure you don't disappoint your audience, you know, satisfy, satisfying other people. It's like, you know, that's what it is too. It's like promising a girl she's going to have great sex, taking her back home and then passing out. <laughs> you know, it's the equivalent of that. It's like, you, know, you brought her home. It's like, this is it. All of this, this talk, this whole, yeah. day, this whole day. Cause I suppose, cause you, you do, you talk a big game, right? The DJ at the beginning, the big, the pumping, you know I mean? You're present like the leather jacket. Right. You're presenting yourself as bang. Right. Name. Where'd you get the name from? All oh, right. I got it from, uh, I was in university. That name was given to me. And, and here's the thing is like, you know, all that other stuff. I mean, the DJ's there to make sure that people are warm sure. and the leather jacket is my homage to, uh, Elvis, uh, 68 comeback special. Yeah. Okay. That, Okay, <laughs> that, that was all in black. Yeah. So you're, but you're selling like pam, pow, yeah. Sammy, right? So you, it's almost. Which comes first, selling the the big idea of I'm the superstar means that you have to fulfill it. That's like quite mm. a good way to work. Promise big, and then you have to deliver. Mm. Or is it that you know you're going to deliver big, so you might as well look great? Oh, it's a combination. I think it depends. I think it's a little bit of both, but I think it's uh, you know you know all the other stuff is presentation. But I don't think I would, you know, presentation is what I work on last. I mean, I think if the material's not there, the core's not there, then the presentation just looks silly, doesn't it? Like, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine you have yeah. this amazing DJ, this great yeah. light show, a leather jacket, you walk on with confidence and nothing, you know? Yeah. Imagine nothing after. It, it just looks ridiculous after. It's like you ever watch those, go to those sports games, those home games where there's a great, I'm sure you have that with, uh, you know, Man U or, yeah. or, 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 uh, Arsenal or they have these big presentations before the game and everybody comes out and these video, historic videos and the whole show. And then they come on, they lose six nothing. Like, 
yeah. <laughs> it's embarrassing at the end of the day. So all that comes in last. I think the, you know, for me, the craft of it, the, the work ethic has to be there and it, you have to love it. You have to love the hard parts. You have to love, it's like a relationship. You have to love it even when it's tough, you know, and it's going to be. And, uh, you know, with that, it, it, it drives you crazy. But when you get through it, man, there's nothing more satisfying than coming up with material and having worked on it and having it, uh, just be great at, at the end of the day. When that happens, man, you know, it, it feels so much more worth it to go through all of that crazy business before you get there be all that neurosis all that anxiety all that fear you know and it becomes a driving force and you use it you know i was like before i went on stage yesterday there was obviously the oh i gotta kill it but there was also you know the part of me that was like it's time to have fun too you know yeah. use it use that anxiety and that energy and have fun out there you know the material now you trust it trust that it's it's good you've tested it now a bunch of times you know most of it's gonna work you know, tonight. So you got to trust that and you can only trust it once you've done it so many times. Before we wrap up, we're going to lose the room in five minutes or so. I, I, so there's some other stuff I want to talk to you about. One of the uh, areas I found a little bit problematic. It's to do with your album that's on Spotify. Uh -huh. So we've established already that's uh -huh. a long time ago, 2006. Mm -hmm. There is a routine where you are, you're doing, you're clearly ripping it and you're doing crowd work, you're doing lots of crowd work on ethnicity. We touched on this earlier on. You've got a routine with some, there's some Japanese girls in the audience, and you've got a bit where you talk about having, or wanting to have a Japanese girlfriend who's like a, you know, incredibly driven and the CEO, All wants right. to be the CEO of a company. Right. And then the payoff of the routine is, I found quite difficult. Like the, the payoff of the routine is this kind of, because I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but it's like you said, but actually, all you wanted to say to her was <laughs> right, sucky right. fucking oh, $15, man, yeah. which is like, A, horrific, and B, Vietnamese. Vietnamese. Like, what? <laughs> like, and, and, and I remember, like, I, yeah. I, I had two experiences listening to that. I was, partly I was like, wow, like, I, that's, a, that's a bit much. And also, I sort of thought, wow, they're still laughing. Yeah. Like, the women in that room are still laughing. Yeah. So, the, just talk about that. I've got a couple of questions about that, but how do you react to that? Like, well, like I said, that was, that was, that was 11 years ago. And, um, you evolve as a comedian and, the, you know, the, the, um, the audiences evolve as well. You know, I would not, I don't think I would have written that today. You know, I think I would have still done something gutsy, but not written that today. And I, I'm, you know, I totally, I even forgot that I had that on there. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, uh, Today would be, there would be, first of all, the, the material would be way more complex than it was, you know, I mean, just writing stuff about Trump and writing stuff about how, you know, in America, they decided not to elect a woman. You evolve as a person, too. If you look at it, that was written from the perspective of, you know, a 27-year-old, a 26-year-old, yeah. you know, now I'm like, you know, 41. I mean, that was stuff that was written and I was doing for the last couple of years before we recorded that CD. And now I'm writing from a 41-year-old. So you mature as a writer, sure. as a person. Um, Have you ever, though, with, your, with some of your riskier material, maybe edgier racial material or ethnic material, mm -hmm. do you feel, I mean, you, you definitely seem to uh, occupy the position of someone who is, you know enough about lots of different ethnicities that mm. you can get that. Um, I'm sort of trying not to mention Russell Peters because I get, I know you occupy a similar kind of positioning. Mm -hmm. um, but 
do you have you ever in in kind of taking ownership of being able to say to being able to make that joke to a Japanese girl or make a joke about black culture to a black audience member have you ever either gone too far or been like the risk hasn't paid off and you've actually ended up saying something and someone's kind of someone in the audience has sort of looked at you like I don't know if you really have ownership to say that. Yeah, no, is not that- not recently. <laughs> not, not recently. <laughs> but, but it's happened in the not past. Recently. I don't. I don't know if it's happened. I don't. I, I can't remember if it's happened. But I think with uh, with uh, you know with material, you, you evolve as a as a writer. And to me, I think uh, you know you got to try it. You got to risk it before you know whether it's good or not. You know, you got to take that risk. I mean, a lot of it you do it at open mics. You kind of feel it out before you bring it out there. Um, but to me, I think because, like I said, I'm close to all of these cultures. I grew up in probably the most multicultural, uh, community in Canada here in Montreal. I went to the most multicultural high school. I was able to have it be, uh, very precise. Like I said, it wasn't a caricature. It was always knowing someone else mm-hmm. and then talking about them. Having said that, I think that bit today I wouldn't do just because I think it's too easy. The out was too easy. I would write it in a way where it would be different and probably the material, the subject matter would be different. But, you know, yeah. that was from the perspective of a 26-year-old, 27-year-old. Sure, sure. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm sure it's like musicians who, you know, they look at their old songs and they're like, eh, I, I, I'm, I'm, way be- I'm a way better writer than that now. So that, that I can definitely acknowledge. But, um, but I don't think I would take any more risks with trying to see how far I can push. That I would do. Like, how far can I push with this stuff, even if it's... Um, something that may offend someone. Let's see how far I can take it. But there's got to be a reason for me to take it there. I think that was a little bit, that one was a little bit just like a throwaway, I think. <laughs> okay. okay. And just to finally then, what, like we've talked a lot about your, I've asked you a lot about your kind of superpowers as a comic, the, the charm, the intimate knowledge of the environment, you know, like, like the, the package, the work ethic. What are some of your um, what are some comic abilities that you feel you still have to learn, or or the things that are out of your grasp, things you see other people doing and think, I wish I could, I wish I could nail that aspect of the. Oh right. Um, I always feel like I can improve on everything I'm already doing. I think that that uh, that I, I I see myself uh, wanting to do more of. Um, I think the storytelling aspect you see some of the guys who are really good storytellers i think that's not my speciality you know it's like writing these long stories that you know the audience hangs on to till the end till the to you know till the payoff i think for me i get impatient sometimes when there's not that laugh you know i get i almost go ooh i'm i'm going to lose them if i don't uh, yes. yeah it looks like i'm i'm getting too uh you know, I'm getting too preachy for something because, uh, because I'm not, I'm not getting the laugh. It's like, you know, cause I always feel like as a comedian, you're a comedian first. And then if there's a message, it'll be there. It'll probably be there anyway because of what you're writing, because yeah. of your interests. But I don't, for me, I never thought it, you know, the message should come before the jokes. You know, I feel like the, the, the jokes should come and the message will follow somehow. I feel like the audience appreciates that too. I feel like you, you know, as a comedian, you've got to have that. Uh, down first and sometimes you see the opposite with with comedians and that's the danger but sometimes some comedians do it really well and that's what I wish I could do is that that balance yes because you because in telling a story there's kind of jeopardy for you as a comedian that they're not laughing you're asking them to invest 
you, yeah, you, it's almost like you, what is it, that you want to be able to hold your nerve longer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think sometimes there's that and there's also the, uh, the fact that, um, ooh, if I'm, if I'm, not getting uh, the laugh, then this is going away from comedy, which is what they came for, you know? So I think that there's some comedians who I, you know, I'm like, oh, I wish I could do that better than, than I do it. And I, I don't touch it, but a lot of guys can, can do that really well. Um, let me see what else I, you know, I just think improving every day. I mean, I, I never consciously think of, I got to do that. I, I always think I just got to get better and learn a new skill, uh, or get better at my skills as much as I can so that, uh, I can be, you know, I, I always said, I, n- I never, I always strive. I don't want to strive to be the most famous. I want to strive to be the best. So when you do that, even if you don't achieve it, you'll always get better, you know? So I think that's always been my, my motto is try to be the best, get, go be the best, you know? And, um, that's all I've, I've ever wanted is being up there and people can tell, you know, I've, I've had some people say to me, you can tell when a comedian comes on stage within the first 30 seconds that he's got, uh, you know, some years behind him, that he has experience. And I like that when people say, I could tell when you walked on and as soon as you started talking, I knew you, you had experience. I mean, I, I like that because then I feel like that took 20 years to develop, Yeah. you know, and if someone feels it right away, it's like I've done my job. Final question. Very quick. Interpret it however you like. What would you have written on your comedy gravestone? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Sugar Sammy was the best. <laughs> no, no, no. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. Cheers. So that was Sammy. Thank you very much to him for coming on the show. Thanks for being so open and, uh, and for getting stuck into the process as he did. Really good fun watching him live. And, uh, and yes, yeah, some fascinating ideas there about how to control, how to sort of seize control of your online brand. Reminds me of the episode with Rob Delaney. That's back in the archive somewhere, if you want to dig that out, where he talked about deleting previous tweets so that the only, if you go to his Twitter page, the only things you see are things that have had hundreds and hundreds of, of retweets and likes and what have you. So he's constantly pruning and altering what is, uh, tweaking what's available online. So some interesting thoughts there. Um, so, that, is that everything? Yes, so support the show as you see fit at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. Uh, listen out for next week is going to be Sashir Zamata, also recorded uh, at the uh, Montreal Comedy Festival. Just an absolutely wonderful... I hope you all enjoyed the, uh, the Lisa Traeger episode. I hope you've all uh, downloaded and listened to that. This is the little run of... Um, of uh, Montreal podcast that I was doing and uh, I think Sashir has a similarly thrillingly fierce approach to feminism and to willpower and to doing exactly what she wants to do so I I found both of those ladies very inspirational to talk to Um, I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to that one next week so that's everything for now I'm going to chat to you for a little postamble if you fancy uh, after the noise of a horse if not I'll speak to you soon. That concludes the podcast. Bye for now. So um, this is quite fun. What I've been uh, uh, I've been describing to hashtag thanks Daryl as he kindly edits out for me as I've been trying to record this in a busy airport is there are frequently people coming down the escalator and then reaching a set of stairs and some lifts that take them only back to where they came down the escalator from. 
So uh, people have been coming around in loops in a very entertaining way as I've been stopping and starting and trying to record without disturbing them or them disturbing me. Um, so listen, just a, just a quickie this time. I had so much fun in Ireland. Uh, I appeared on Alison Spittle's podcast. She's a very funny Irish comedian. Um, so you can find her podcast on the Headstuff Network. I believe it's called The Alison Spittle Show. I don't think my episode's coming out till November. But it's very, very uh, fascinating and fun to talk to her. She's definitely one to watch. Very, very funny comic. Um, so it's been a really invigorating weekend of gigs here in Dublin. And uh, I've really enjoyed myself. Do, if you're in town, do stop by the Laughter Lounge. Very up for it audiences. Really good fun. One aspect of it for me as an English person performing in Ireland is that, like, if I perform in Australia or New Zealand, for example, I'm automatically special. You get that whole kind of, oh, it's like Superman on Earth. You know, you've got, you've got a different set of expectations. You get to be foreign and exciting. Obviously, when an English person performs in Ireland, I get to be foreign and not necessarily a good thing. So there's always, there's a really fun moment at the beginning of each gig where I sort of have to say, let's all just adjust to the fact that I'm English and see where that goes each night. And over the three nights performing here, I had three very different reactions. Um, but I also did uh, write a really good joke about leprechauns that uh, starts off looking like it's going to offend them and then really wins them over. So not the leprechauns themselves. Um, so that was a very satisfying thing as well. Thank you to all the, the ComCom people that came out to see me uh, in Dublin. I hope to return here uh, in the spring of next year on tour, as I take Like I Mean It on tour. And don't you worry, I will keep you very much abreast of, uh, of all of that information as and when it comes. So that is it for now. I'm going to have to try and stop recording because people are starting to run past me carrying a variety of things. There's obviously, I'm on the pathway that's, uh, that people are... There goes one... I'm on a pathway of, that people are now needing to run to in order to make their connection. So that will have to do for now. Thank you for listening. Sashir Zamata next week. I think you're really going to enjoy that. And uh, thanks to Daryl, to Dan Melrose, Asher T, and all of those other guys who have um, helped along the way uh, to create the podcast. I used to thank them every week, and now I barely think of them. So thank you. Uh, to you people who have done so much. Oh, and of course, um, Ben Lund-Conlon and Olivia Phipps, Emily Crosby and Matt Hoss, who are doing some sterling work logging for me. So thanks to the team of loggers. And that's, that'll do for now. I'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.